Our gospel lesson this morning comes from John's gospel in the first chapter, verses 29 through 42. Before we turn to God's holy word, let us turn to God in prayer. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we ask that you would do it again, that you would open the heavens, send your spirit down, down upon us and with us in this place, so that your good news and your grace may be revealed to each one. We ask this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, from John in the first chapter, verses 29 through 42. Listen now for the word of God. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The word of the Lord. I participated in an exercise with some colleagues this week where we were asked to stand up and go around the table and identify ourselves by name. Perhaps you've done this too. Now to be clear, we already all knew one another. Plus, we were wearing name tags. So this exercise of getting up and introducing yourself by name wasn't as much a chance to introduce yourselves to others. Again, we we already knew each other. And plus, we were wearing name tags. This was a way for us to claim the gift and the blessing that is a name. To be named is a blessing. 
It's part of what gives you an identity. So it was interesting to me to witness the variety of ways that people did this. Some of us stood and gave our first name or the name that we prefer to go by, Andy. Some of us gave our full name, Andrew, Thomas, Court. Some of us stood and gave the name, our name, but also our title, the Reverend Dr. Andrew Thomas Court. I just said Andy. But I was interested in the variety of identifiers a person could use to be known. Like me, some used nicknames while others used their complete names, and others used complete names plus a title. I don't want to read too deeply into any meaning or to conjecture as to why some of us used a formal title and others did not. But I do think there is something about the way we see and understand ourselves and the way that we are seen and understood by others. Our names and our titles do not just tell people about who we are. They let people know what we do. We see in our text this morning Jesus possesses more than a few names and more than a few titles to help us understand both how he is seen by others and some of what he does. Among those are rabbi, which means teacher, Jesus, he's a teacher, and messiah, which means anointed one. As the passage opens, we read of John the baptizer testifying to the event we encountered last week with the baptism of Jesus. So perhaps our minds, and maybe our hearts, go back one week and we remember another name, another title for Jesus. God's Son, the Beloved. Yes, Jesus is all of these. Messiah, anointed, teacher, beloved, son of God, and more. And perhaps that's part of what is so incredible about Jesus. He is always more than we can properly name or fully identify. He's always more than we can imagine. But in this passage, another name and another title, another descriptor is given. Lamb of God. Twice the great prophet John, the one crying out in the wilderness, the one who baptizes with a baptism of repentance. John, the one who has his own disciples. John, he both declares and then later exclaims, Look, here is the Lamb of God. One of my seminary professors, Dr. James Durlisser, writes extensively on lambs in the Bible. He points out that in the Bible, lambs are animals that are slain. They were vulnerable to attack by wild animals such as lions or bears. When people were suffering from a brutal conflict and were facing death, they were described as being like a lamb led to the slaughter. Lambs are among the most sacrificial animal in Scripture. When Abraham and Isaac were making that terrifying and fateful walk up Mount Moriah, you remember the story of Isaac's near sacrifice. Isaac innocently asks, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Throughout the law codes of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, lambs are required or the prescribed sacrifice of many of the different rituals. 
And of course, we recall in the Passover ritual, the Hebrews, they were instructed to do what? To kill a lamb. To smear its blood on the doorpost of their homes. And that would somehow play a part in their saving action of God. Lambs are frequently described as vulnerable, gentle, and helpless. Much of the time in Scripture, if a lamb shows up, one can just assume it's only a matter of time until it meets its bloody end. Dr. Durlitzer says that these images of lambs help to shape one of the most meaningful images of Jesus in the New Testament, that of the Lamb of God. Yes, names and titles help people know who we are. But they also shed light on what we do. And so here is Jesus, the Lamb of God. And yet Jesus is a different kind of innocent, gentle, and vulnerable lamb who is led to the slaughter and whose blood is shed, as we say in our Eucharistic liturgy, for the forgiveness of sin, this particular lamb, the one John the baptizer identifies and points to as the lamb of God, is somehow victorious. Slaughtered and scarred, yes, but risen, but risen. Risen, and as we will read later in Revelation, this lamb is not just risen, this lamb is upon the throne. Look, John says, here is the Lamb. Here is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That's what the Lamb does. That's what Jesus does. He takes. He takes away sin. Isn't that good news? He takes away sin, but not just our sin, the sin of the world. How incredible is that? How amazing is that? Do we not often think of this in terms of individual forgiveness and restoration, in terms of our own personal sins? God, have mercy on me, a sinner, we often pray. Yes, that. God, have mercy on me. Yes, that. And the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. You see, Jesus is always doing something bigger and better than we would expect. And he does it not just for us, but for the whole world. Do you know why? Because he loves the whole world. The Gospel writer John powerfully tells us this, famously tells us this, two chapters later as he writes in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world. Yes, God's love is that big. It's that big. And God's desire for the world to be redeemed and to be whole is that big. Redemption and healing are so important. They're that important to God. And so the Lamb of God takes away the sin, not just of me, but of, not just of us, but of the whole world. Our individual sin, yes, like when we ignore the hungry or when we hurt someone in one of our relationships. But our corporate sin, too. Like when we set up and participate in systems designed to suppress others. Or like when our corner of the world or our neighborhood benefits 
at the expense of those in other corners of the world or in different and most often lower income neighborhoods. Now how it happens exactly, well that is a divine mystery. But the Lamb of God eventually is led to the cross to bleed and to die because of and for our sin. And in this singularly momentous action, he takes away the sin of the world. Thanks be to God. And this is what the Lamb does. He takes away the sin of the world. This is what Jesus does. He takes away our sin. That's what he does. He takes. He takes. He takes our sin. But he takes so that he can give. He takes away our sin, and in doing so, he gives us life. In this gracious giving of life, Jesus moves us toward a life that is abundant, a life that is in the fullness of God. This is a life that we do together with other people in community. Notice in our text this morning that none of the disciples are here by themselves. Two disciples left John to follow Jesus. One of them goes, Andrew, he went to go get his brother Peter. They did not do this life of discipleship alone. And neither do we. You see, because in God's wisdom and sometimes, I think, sense of humor... God has given us the gift of one another, of this imperfect and yet beloved community to journey with. He takes so that he can give. But it doesn't stop with just taking our sins. He takes more than that. This passage has to do with the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, yes, but it also has to do with discipleship. When Andrew and Peter and the others who decide to follow him, those who take him up on his offer to come and see, they know that Jesus takes something else. He takes their old lives. He takes their old way of being. According to the Gospel writer John, the first disciples had originally been disciples of John the Baptist, who then transferred their allegiance to Jesus. That's what happens when you're a disciple of Jesus. He takes your old life and your old allegiances, your old priorities. He takes that and more. He takes your complacency, your nonchalance, and your comfort. And so be warned. Be warned. Because Jesus takes. But he takes so that he can give. In place of these things that he takes, he gives. He gives us a burning desire to labor for justice and equity. And he gives a heart that is soft with care and compassion. And he gives a willingness to seek and to understand more about God and one another so that we might share our resources, so that we might live in harmony so that we might delight in one another, so that we might venture forward into God's preferred future for the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, he takes. 
He takes our seemingly unlimited capacity to focus on ourselves and gives. He gives us eyes to imagine and a heart to stir and to move us ever forward towards becoming a community of action, towards maybe continuing to be a community of action. And of course you know that communities that act are communities that believe that God will act. So I can't help but wonder. I can't help but wonder if we are a community that acts because we believe that God can act and that God does act and that God is acting, oftentimes in us and through us, then I wonder, what ills could we take? What could we take? What ills and wrongs and hurts and pains could we take from our homes, from our families, from our neighborhoods, from our community, from our city? I wonder, what could be removed? that might lead to life, abundant life, life that flourishes in our community. What could that be? Of course, that's a two-part question. Second part of that question is then, what could we give? If we take something, then what could we give that could lead to life abundant for our community? What needs to be taken away? What needs to be given? How can God do it through us? These are big questions. These are big questions. And while you ponder, and while we collectively ponder and discern, may I remind you that we are in the presence of God. We are gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so behold, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin has drawn near. Like Andrew, like Peter, like countless others, may we have the conviction, may we have the courage to follow, to go along for the ride and to come and to see. And as we do, may God take our fear and give us hope. Amen.